there, I'm Lorraine. And I'm Rosie, and our guest today on What If is best known for her role as Sally Sinclair in Hollyoaks. Absolutely. She also happens to be British Soap's first transgender actress to play a transgender role. Annie Wallace, it is a joy, a joy to see you. How are you doing? Good, thanks. Yeah, busy, busy at work. And this has been a blissful week off in the lovely weather, which has been... Oh, trying to sort my garden out after all the storms, you know. Thank you so much for joining us. It's it's great to see you and it's it's really good to talk to you. And I just wonder, when you were little, when you were a kid, when did you know, hang on a minute, things, this is not, I'm not feeling as if I fit, if you know what I mean. How did it all sort of come about? Well, do you know, I think it all starts kind of kind of nebulously when you're very, yeah. very young. But there there was a very specific moment when I thought I am being treated or I'm with the wrong gang. Right. And I'm I should be with those very very sum it up, I was on a holiday, Butlins, Air. Ever been? Lovely. I know it very well. In fact, I do, yes. <laughs> Back in the days when it was Butlins and it had all the chalets and the fun fair, it's, it's all caravans now. It's one of those caravan park uh, places. So I was there at 1970, da-da-da, back in the wheels of time, and I was five years old, and, oh, God, you listen, You talk to a Scottish person, you start talking <laughs> Scottish, don't yeah, you? Yeah, you do, you do. I was five-year-old, uh, so... <laughs> <laughs> So, yes, I was five years old and <laughs> they had a thing there called the Children's Crash and they had the Children's Theatre as well. And it was, this was so that the adults could go and do some other stuff because obviously there was stuff for them specifically as well. And so I, um, I was put in there for a while, an afternoon or an evening or something like that. And lots of toys and things you could play with. The piano, I was at the piano, you know, five years old, come on, I wasn't exactly right man enough. So <laughs> I went there and... Back then, there was a lot of kind of gender segregation that happened. Like at my primary school, there was a a fence that went right down the middle of the playground and it was boys at one side and girls at the other. And you say that to kids now and they go, huh? Mm. But that's that's kind yeah. of how it was. It was you're brought up in a very different way. I realised that I should be with the girls over there because that's identified with them on a very, very basic level. And... Also, they were doing the kind of things I wanted to do. It was like, why am I being made to go with this lot over here? Because that's not right. Mm. And I could not at the age at that age put it into words, but it really started a started me thinking about it in a concrete way rather than just a vague feeling of feeling a little bit unsure. Obviously, back then, 70s, no one's going to listen to you, and, and they didn't. So, yeah, it wasn't a good time. <laughs> did you have a lot of friends? Was it was it quite lonely? Yeah, I did. I did have a, a, a few friends, I suppose. I wasn't part of a gang in terms of, you know, a, a bunch of mates. But I had one or two, and and they, they were always the geeky kind, you know. We always had the same taste in uh, in kind of television and music and that kind of thing. Glam rock, yay! Hey. Uh, so I did. But to be perfectly honest, I hung out with my uh, my family. Um, I was very close to a few of my cousins, and they were more like my best friends than anybody else. I had more people that didn't like me than liked me, put it that way. <laughs> and what was school like then? I mean, primary school, I would imagine, would be quite difficult in some ways but did it get better as you got older or, or did it end up getting worse oh it's funny because you look back on it and uh, 
at the time, it was awful because there was a few that were... There was a general feeling that I didn't fit and they didn't really right. want me there. And I suppose it was down to body language or, or something nebulous like that. I've used nebulous twice in this interview so far. <laughs> I apologise. I tell this story because it's the, the worst one. When they when they dangled me over the, the railings of, of a stairwell by, by my feet. And uh, yeah. Oh, Annie. Jeez. So, yeah, yeah, it was literally like that. I thought it was really bad and I thought, oh, I'm going to go to secondary school. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to be different. And actually it was worse. Mm. It was worse because there was more of them. <laughs> there was more of them. And for some reason, the, because of uh, puberty and people becoming more aware of the gender differences and all this kind of stuff, it just got worse and worse. And I got really badly beaten at secondary school. And you just kind of... <sighs> Well, you just have to kind of live with it because at the time, no one's really listening to you. The thing is, though, Annie, I just wonder for you, you know, when you were at school and all of this is happening to you, in the wider world, was there anybody that you could identify with or could look to as somebody who you could think, oh, right, OK, I, I see those. But, you know, was there anybody that you felt connection with that was maybe in the public eye? Not at all. See, there wasn't. Not, wasn't there not, not, not at all. Um, I suppose there was the occasional thing that would pop up during News of the World or something like that, where, where they, you know, one of these shock scandal stories about yeah. somebody who'd, who'd gone through this, and and it was like it was constantly negative and mocking and all that kind of thing, and you know it was always on the periphery that these type of people existed, but in this kind of nether world, but you know you compare it to today when there's youth support groups and there's um, and there's services like mermaids and everything, and it's it's just it is a it is a radically different landscape mm. but then it's you know um there's a lot of coming to terms with the fact that i'm that different i'm that weird and then just going how can i deal with this and what am i going to do about it if anything and yeah it was a lonely place to be because also you didn't talk about it you didn't talk about it it was it was very much mm. a case of if i tell someone this they're going to either hit me hate me or never speak to me again and you spoke about not having anyone to talk to. Who was the first person that you opened up to? Well, the first person I spoke to was, I suppose, my mum. Mm. And that was at about eight years old when I summoned up the courage and I told her. And she was hanging up the washing in the lounge on the clothes horse, as you do. And she just turned around, she just hit me across the face. What? And said, never, ever do I want to hear you say that ever again. And I was so shocked. Until I got to the point where I had finally decided I was going to do something about it. I'd been to see my GP, who was a, a lovely lady who had <laughs> absolute full sympathy and encouragement, which apparently was a rare thing at the time. Mm. So I, I hit lucky with that. And how old were you when that was going on? 22. Okay. Right. I had my 21st birthday and I went, nah, nah, this mm. isn't going to go on anymore. So after I'd seen the doctor and think the wheels had been set in motion, I sat down with my sister. Me and my sister were pretty close and still are. And I told her. Her, her facial expression was, well, that makes a lot of sense now, doesn't it? <laughs> oh, OK, so maybe she kind of knew anyway, because I think people that know you very well and that love you very much, they know they do know. Maybe they don't want to say it out loud, like your mother at that time yeah. didn't want to say it out loud. Did she come round, your mum? Kind of. And then what happened was I planned my transition and everything like that, and I didn't have the courage to tell mum and dad. My sister did it on my behalf, and then I, I phoned 
the house. I didn't know that my sister had done it. I phoned the house and said, hi, Dad. And I just heard my dad burst into tears, which I'd never heard before. And he dropped the phone and my mum just said, your sister's been over and she's told us, we'll talk to you later and hung up the phone. And I just disintegrated into a pile on the floor. It was just the most awful thing. In summary, without going into too much detail, mum took a while to come round. She spent like a year trying to convince me out of it. My dad wouldn't see me for 15 years. He refused to have me in the room. Oh, he, he would oh. talk to me over the phone in terms of, oh, how are you doing? You're right. OK, here's your mum. And it was f- only 15 years later that we kind of rec- reconciled. You mentioned at school you were um, you were labelled a show-off because you were in the drama club. And yeah. you you did, though, get a place in the National Youth Theatre, didn't you? You, you were there for, for a little while. What made you, you know, I just wonder what if you'd kept going in that field or what, what made you leave The National Youth Theatre is is an interesting thing because there's there's kind of two levels to National Youth Theatre. The first one is like the primary one, which is when you are taken on as the National Youth Theatre Company and you put on a few productions in London at what was the Shaw Theatre at the time and that kind of thing. And that's really, really hard to get into. There's the other one, which is the other one, which is the one I got into, which is the workshopping groups that happens in and around London during summer. And what they do is they put you with a, an acting teacher and you spend two weeks in London on this course um, devising characters and a play and everything. And it was wonderful and really felt a part of it. And, you know, I was asked to go back the next year, but I just couldn't because I couldn't afford to. It cost a fortune. I, you know, drama was the one thing that I could lose myself in. I could completely forget about who I actually was and inhabit a character. But no, my teacher, Pat Wood, the the, the the lovely Pat Wood, she said, I think you should apply to National Youth Theatre if it could be very good for you. And I did at an audition with uh, Michael Croft, who was the head of it at the time, and he put me through. I had a wonderful summer in 1980. I loved just being in the world where it wasn't just, here's a script, learn it and go and see it. It was about text work and movement and everything. And I was just captured by it. And I really wanted to go to drama school, but the figures didn't add up couldn't afford it so I gave up the dream and I went to other thing that I'm interested in which is techie things gadgets when did it stop being enough Coronation Street mm. yes <laughs> yes because that was incredible you you were you helped them didn't you with a with a really groundbreaking yeah. story Lee? it opened my eyes up to the fact that I that acting was not something that was lost and forgotten it was something that I could pick up and maybe run with and it's only because I was I was hanging out with some of the actors in the uh, what used to be the staff bar back in the days when they had social clubs in uh, television studios. It was Julie Pesmentalsh who played Haley, which was the storyline that I worked with, and she just said, "You know, there's two drama schools in Manchester, and you can get a student loan for them." And I was like, "Really?" <laughs> Suddenly it was like, "Ding!" Mm. <laughs> Gosh, this is. I, w- I would have been thirty. 35 and something clicked and it was like well why not and yeah that's what led me to apply for a drama school and get in after the second go <laughs> god that's fantastic i mean that that storyline was really groundbreaking and oh, i thought yeah. it was so well done and to be honest with you it needed somebody like you 
to make that authentic, to make the fact that, you know, the character Julie Spent, the beloved Haley, who's my all-time favourite character in Coronation <laughs> Street, and I'm not the only one, she was just so well-beloved. And it was such a beautiful character and a beautiful love story between her and, her and Roy. But interestingly, though, Julie said she wouldn't do that part now. She would feel mm. that that part should go, well, to you or, or to another trans actor, you know, another trans actor or actress. It, it, should, it shouldn't be for someone like her. And I thought that was really interesting. She's absolutely right in terms of the, the fact that times have changed. Mm. I mean, when she was cast in, in 97, you've got to remember that trans people still didn't have any proper legal rights. There were very, very few trans actors around and they were almost impossible to find. So there was the other issue of they wanted the perfect situation, which, which was Corey wanted somebody who the audience weren't going to know was trans. And that's a difficult thing because, mm. you know, for trans women, there's a large amount of trans women who have physical issues to overcome. And there's a smaller group of trans women for whom they, they blend in really seamlessly. And it's a shame that we have to bring that up, but it is a fact that, that the world is very visual and people react to other people a lot depending on their appearance. I'd love to know what you think about you know, what the line is for actors playing gay and trans roles. I Mm. I think it's so talked about now. But there is, you know, people have said if it's a gay person, then a straight actor shouldn't play that role. And then it's this whole thing of, well, that's acting. I'm kind of on the fence with it, I'll be Mm. honest with you. Some people are very committed one way or the other. The people who say I should be able to play any role are the people who get offered every role. Oh, that's such a good point. Right, Okay. mm -hmm. It's almost like I don't want the pool of roles for me to play to be withdrawn. But if you are an out trans or an out gay actor, there are massive limitations on what you will be offered as an actor. We're talking purely on an employment basis here. The reason that most actors that keep their sexuality to themselves, although there's obvious examples of people who are really out and doing very well but they tend to be on the what I would call the elite section of actors who are really doing very well in the large roles if you're a younger up-and-coming actor and you're literally coming out and saying well okay I'm gay it's like casting directors they're getting better hello casting directors you're doing so well (laughs) (laughs) they are but you know until recent times it was very much a case of okay this gay actor we're not sure about putting them with this woman and having to you know have scenes you know kissing scenes and things and Mm -hmm. it's literally on a surface level equity of opportunity of employment because at the bottom at the end of the day actors are it's a job of work. People have to pay their rent and people have to pay the gas bill, which is now from that to that. Mm. Gay and trans actors, especially trans actors, just weren't being invited into the audition room in the first place. So from that point of view, yes, I believe that gay actors should be allowed or opened up to play more gay roles and that maybe the straight actors should step back a bit and go, OK, I will let my gay colleagues into this, into this mm. situation. Do you know, that's the most sensible and completely understandable explanation of that issue Mm. that I've ever heard. And it kind of makes you go, oh, right. Oh, I get that. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Of course it does. That's very, yes, you you said you were a geek, Annie. That's very logical. Let Mr. Spock. (laughs) I do do, do try. (laughs) But on the other side, I couldn't possibly 
say for one second that, of course, straight actors can't play gay or trans. Of course not. Julie played a trans character for 16 years, the best it could be done. My friend James Sutton, who plays my on-screen son, John Paul, in, in Hollyoaks, oh, yes, he, he's a straight guy who plays a gay lad very well. So yeah. it's it's not a case of can't, it's a case of should. And okay. also, when Russell T. Davis, my old friend Russell T., he cast It's a Sin with the decision to make it a gay cast. Mm. And that was a creative decision upon his point. Could they have been played by straight actors? Quite possibly. But for him, this was an ensemble piece about a very specific situation, which was the onset of HIV and AIDS in the 1980s. And the story of it is a tragedy, and the story of it is woven into LGB lives much more than tea. And what he decided to do was to make it a shared experience of history as much as anything else. And by that, he had a sense of people being able to completely identify with the situations that their predecessors had gone through about losing people left, right and centre, which was a phenomenon that was not touching the heterosexual community at the time in the 80s at all. It, it eventually, towards the end, obviously, it started to leach through. Hence, that's why the government starts to... The government only took notice to HIV and AIDS when straight people started to fall ill. Yeah. And that's oh, a I really... Remember it, Annie. I remember that's, it very well. That's, that's a very, very sad situation, but it's it true. Is. There were thousands and thousands of people dropping like flies up until about 1985 who was like well well it's their own fault it's the gay the gay remember the words the gay plague i do i do the gay Imagine plague and the icebergs and all the rest of just it. It absolutely shocking behavior on every yeah, level and russell made a, con- a conscious decision that he wanted this to be an absolute history mm. experience and it 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 enhanced the production to... It's won every award going, hasn't it? So do I think that it should only be gay people playing gay and trans people playing trans? Not necessarily. I think every single situation is individual. And I know a lot of people won't agree with that, but I have to be honest with myself about it. Example, Eddie Redmayne playing Lily Elba in The Danish Girl. Well, for most of the film, he was playing Einar, who was pre-transition and then subsequently became Lily. Mm. So if you cast a trans person that role, they would literally be having to play an opposite gender role for the for, for most of the film before actually playing the trans mm-hmm. person that they were. So I think, and this is my this is the last thing I'm going to say about it because I don't <laughs> waffle too much. Num- <laughs> no, it's fascinating. <laughs> Number one, if the trans character in a television or a film or something. If it's a story of transition, I think that casting a non-trans actor is entirely valid. If it's a character that is post-transition, I think it absolutely should be a trans actor that plays it. Mm. Because the the, the life experience will lend itself better to a character than someone who is doing it out of research. Uh, Mm. But it's simply... When Julie did it in 1997, there was no one to go to. And what she did was she brought a, a very deft... When she had to, she could she, she would drop her voice a little bit and she, she'd shuffle a bit and look a bit embarrassed, almost as if she was remembering who Haley used to be. Oh. And it was, it was a remarkable performance. So, yeah, I sit on the fence with it. And yes, I, think it's, really I think it's a case-by-case case basis. 
for you, it seemed that you sort of burst onto the scene almost. It was like you were below the radar and then it was like, wow, here she is and here she is in Hollyoaks and here she is speaking out and here she is, you know, doing all of these things. What was it that, that happened there where, you know, you suddenly, I don't know, you just suddenly if for want of a better expression, came out. (laughs) Well, okay, I'm a bit of a coward. (laughs) I have been dominated most of my life by fear. And that goes right back to school days. Fear of repercussions, fear of violence, fear of losing my job, fear of losing family or friends. And so a lot of the things that I have done in my life that have been things that I've wanted to do have carried a risk of that fear coming true. So everything I've done has been measured risk. I've never been leap and see what happens. I've never been that kind of person, sadly. (laughs) But there we are. So when I was in drama school, I wasn't out. As a trans person, I blended in very well. I was very lucky. So people didn't instantly know that I was trans and and I, I went with that because... I didn't, it was a conversation I didn't want to have. Not because I was necessarily too ashamed of it. Just, I just, it's not important. It's mm. just, come on, I'm here to do a job. So drama school, I wasn't out. And then I left, I graduated and I found I wasn't getting an agent and I wasn't getting any auditions as such. So I went right back to doing the computer work <laughs> because I had a rent to pay. And that carried on for quite a few years. I gave up the acting again. And... I lost my job in 2010, much to my shock. And I had to think about what am I going to do? Because I actually found it very, very difficult to find work after that. This was post-banking crash when redundancies were happening left, right and centre. They weren't taking people on for many, many reasons. So I struggled and I only got some part-time work. So what I did was I thought, I'm going to work on the acting career. I'm going to do more stuff. I did more fringe theatre, bits and pieces, and then I got an audition for Shameless. I got Ooh. I got to be a, a guest character in one episode, a head teacher <laughs> again. <laughs> <laughs> Subsequently, I got an agent. So you can be an actor without an agent, but it's much, much more difficult because agents are in touch with the, the casting lists and the other, the, the news that's on the ground and everything. So it opens opportunities up, basically, it's what it does. So I got an agent and I was really happy about that. And this also coincided with things shifting in the world of drama in terms of Orange is the New Black happened. Oh, yes. And Laverne Cox was cast in one of the central roles and became its breakout star. Hmm. So other drama productions were going wow this is this is a, a story that's not been told before and maybe we can we can do this and obviously they'd done trans characters before but they'd never actually employed a trans actor to do them and in this particular case it was happening so it started to happen in this country the bbc created a thing called the trans comedy award and they said we want the creation of a sitcom which is based around a trans character. But the comedy hasn't got to be about the person being trans. It's got to be about the world they live in having comedic value, which is, is, yes, there's a lot of it around. So there were two that went up for the final rehearsed reading for it. And one of them was called Love, which turned into Boy Meets Girl. Which oh, was, of course, yeah. Which was made into the series with Rebecca Root. I remember very well, yeah. yeah. And the other one was called Nobody's Perfect. And that was going to be about 
a trans woman who was having a relationship with a cisgender woman who had her family. So it was almost like she had stepchildren and it was like how they coped with it and dealing with things at school and whatnot. And I got down to the last few for that particular sitcom, but it, it didn't get made because Boy Meets Girl did get made. But I came very, very close to it. You know, I was in, sat in a room with um, John Plowman. Oh, yeah. The comedy executive producer of the last 40 years, a really important man. And I was like, <gasps> it was like, wow, this is really possible. And I'd also been talking a lot to Julie and going, Julie, do you think I should do this? It means being out and everything. And she was like, well, you know, you don't like being out. And I went, I know, I know. But <laughs> but on the other hand, this could be a really good opportunity. Well, if you like it, you should go for it. And <laughs> so, so that's what happened. I, I went for it. And then the next thing I went for was Cucumber. Russell T. Oh, Davis's yes. Cucumber. Uh-huh. That but Julie was in, yeah. That she was in. and <laughs> But that part went to Bethany Black because I was too old and she was far, far better suited to the character. But it was out there. And then, of course, Hollyoaks comes out with this, we're opening an open casting because we want to find trans actors for a possible regular role in the future. I was So I was in a room with 30 people. We, do, we did workshops and all that kind of thing. That got whittled down to six and then a recall. And then they said to us, and this is the killer, they said, OK, so this is going to take us a year. <laughs> what? Whoa. And they said, we are going to go now and write a character to, to fit into the village. And it may or may not be played by one of you guys, but you will have inspired that character, whichever one we choose. And then we'll contact you all when it comes to audition time. So right enough, a year later, it comes out and I go up for audition and whatnot. And it's not just an audition, it's a screen test. So it's a big thing. And I'm going, oh my God. So I did the screen test and uh, waited a few days. And then they phoned me and told me that I got the role. And I phoned Julie. And and I ended up sitting on the floor of the office. Nobody there, thankfully, lunchtime. (laughs) Sat on the floor of the office at the college I worked at, crying. And the other end of the phone, Julie was crying. And we couldn't and it was like everything was going to change that's why I came out of nowhere because it was the first time that I had decided I was going to play a trans character I was going to come out and deal with it and feel the fear and do it anyway (laughs) and what do your family think about Hollyoaks oh they're really proud really Mm. proud and really happy unfortunately my dad died before Hollyoaks the year before he hadn't been well, but mum was ridiculously proud. She passed away a few years ago as well, but she did see the first few years of it and she was like, oh. And then just over a year after I'd started, I got a BAFTA nomination from BAFTA yeah. Scotland. I know, I remember, yeah. I remember looking at the screen when the email came through and I just went, oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> come on, you're kidding me. So, But I was crazy proud and then when when you're nominated you get a certificate to say you've been nominated for for it and and that went up on my mum's wall and she mm-hmm. was just the proudest person in the world and that that's my abiding memory and reward I did it <laughs> she helped me back then then by taking me to National Youth Theatre and encouraging my acting and and I did it. I made it. <laughs> and it you took really a, did. But it yeah. did take a while. <laughs> no, I know, but it just shows you if you're tenacious and you hold on to your dreams that sometimes it absolutely can work out. And now, you know when you said when you were growing up there wasn't really anybody visible 
in the bigger world for you to say, oh, right, okay, well, they're doing it, so I can. Look at you now. Now, you must, you absolutely must get people, particularly young people, saying, thank goodness you're there. Because, Mm. you know, if you can do it, then maybe I can do it. Do you know something? It's almost as if the young guys don't need me anymore because they have young role models now and there weren't any young role models so we have we have two non-binary actors playing non-binary characters in Hollyoaks now Tylan and Kai on television we have young trans people in all kinds of stuff that option is open to them on a peer level I'm there as I'm I'm in my 50s and I have had a life as a trans person and it's been successful. So I'm kind of like, look, it's not just something that you have to take a risk with. It can be your life. It can be it can be a life well lived. It can be a life better lived than if you are stuck inside yourself, miserable and unhappy. And if you live your true self, then you can be a happier and more productive person. And I think that's the thing about the trans experience that doesn't really get talked about is that actually you become a better person as a result of it and more successful because you're less you're less inhibited yeah no that makes sense you're a wise woman you know you are a very oh, very I don't know wise about that. woman a very no, old you, woman <laughs> not at all not at all no 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 you're listen you know women in a woman in her prime definitely a woman in her well, prime well I like that thank you you can come back <laughs> absolutely of, of, of course of course and yes it's, it's so interesting you say that and you know when you when you talk about that and you look you, know, you look at things like Emmerdale and we've got we've got Ash who, mm. who of course plays Matty Barton and in Holby as well you know we, Luke, we've had yeah. Holby yeah, um, Lewis McGarry, wasn't it? Luke, Lewis, um, uh, Tyler Luke Cunningham. Tyler Luke that. Cunningham, yeah. Yeah, right. so, so we've got that. And it's just like, they're just characters who happen to be trans. And, and that's, that's the, the most important thing. That yes. is the most important thing. I think at this present moment, it still needs to be spoken about. Because it's like, okay, this character is here, this character is trans, and then you can move on. You may have to bring it up at some point, because sometimes being trans, it does have to be kind of spoken about. Not very much. I mean... I don't in my normal day-to-day life. It doesn't really... Well, you're just getting on with your life, I'm you? just getting on with the mouth like a normal person. But we have got to that point where a trans character can be trans without being, hi, I'm trans. And yeah. the next step, the next step that we've still got to overcome is trans people playing non-trans roles. And that's still not happening because there's still a large a large amount of tokenization happening. Non-trans people have been playing trans for decades and now it's time that the other foot happened. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, they say, well, if you're trans, how can you place this gendered? Well, because I was. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. it's like we have that lived experience as well. But, you know, we're not going to be greedy about it. You know, in its own time, things will take their own time. And the problem is you can't force things on people because they will react. Things have to be done naturally. And it's just a shame it took till 2013 before the audience started to see actual trans actors as if we'd suddenly appeared out of nowhere. But we were there doing all this kind of stuff. There's now a thing which I suppose is tokenised as queer theatre, which is trans people doing productions about the trans experience and about how they relate as as queer identities and that kind of thing. I very much inhabit the mainstream existence, which is, yeah, trans, yeah. But the other theatre that's happening is talking about it because for so long it's just been underground. But now those experiences are becoming mainstream as well in mainstream theatre and that's important to embrace too. 
It is. I mean, it is, it is important. It's important to have all of these conversations. And it's just a shame that some things have got so toxic, Annie, and you know yeah. that they have. And oh, it's, yeah. it, must be, it must be heartbreaking for you and heartbreaking for everybody who really, you know, all that we want to do, all of us, is just get on with our lives. Of course we do. And make it as easy as possible for everybody to, you know, to be heard and to be seen and all of these things. And we've got, we really actually, in some ways, I feel that we're going backwards. You know, people are oh, yeah. hurling rocks at one another and it's it's not really getting us anywhere you know it's just not so we end each episode by getting guests to tell us their biggest fail regret and win mm. <laughs> it's a loaded one it's it's, it's kind of scary that yeah, yeah. what am I going to do uh, we'll start with fail my biggest fail would be the fear and the shame that I carried with me for so long because I could have been so much further in my life so much earlier had I not been so wrapped up in fear. Yeah. And that's not something that I could have easily dispelled. I'm so jealous of, of trans people who are out there and they're young and they're out and they're proud and they're like, this is who I am. And they're like, the whole life's ahead of them. And mm -hmm. I've always felt that I've only been able to take tiptoe steps forward for fear of consequences. And I think if I'd been braver... I think I would have been, I think I'd have been in a different position in my life that I'm in now. What age were you when you came out? 50. I mean, obviously I was out to family and yeah. I was out to some friends and I was out to the people on Coronation Street and this kind of thing. But my immediate kind of friend circle, who are largely in a drama group called the Cholton Players, I didn't come out to anybody. I just let people assume from me what they wanted and nobody mm. ever asked a question of me and... I never lied. I never says, I says, oh, I'm not trans. No, I never went that far. But I think it was a massive step. I had done these auditions prior to the Hollyoaks audition and I thought, you know something, things are changing. There's a thing in the air. And in order to achieve the goal that I've wanted all my life, I may have to come out. I may have to literally just go, fine, and let the chips fall where they may. Mm. And I thought the good time to do it is on my 50th birthday in me. <laughs> it's, it's such a, a comforting sense that you've arrived in your body and that nothing can touch you. And I only got to that maybe when I reached 50. When I was 40, no, I wasn't ready. 50, I was, came out. A third of my friends already knew. They just didn't talk about it. A third of them kind of suspected and a third had no idea. But they all reacted with love and support either way. And you know something? We don't even talk about it anymore because it's not important. Yeah. That's what that was. And then, of course, when I did the Hollyoaks audition, it was a case of they could share in the, the triumph and the joy as well without having to go, guys, it's a slightly different role. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I need to tell you something. No, I'd already done that. And yeah. I'm, I'm pleased mm. that the timing fell in very well for that, yeah. <laughs> and what about regret? It's really difficult because there's so many. <laughs> you know, I, I, I regret not being more out and forceful about my opinions and actually really saying, no, you don't get to call me names. This is who I am. I regret not being more forward about it so that maybe I could have transitioned earlier in my life. I mean, I know I did it at 22, which is no age, but at the same time, I could have done it when I was 16 or something. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I regret saying no a lot because I've been quite keen to please and quite keen to... I want everyone to see me as a good person. 
and then ended up being completely betrayed. And I think we've all been in that position at some point where we've mm -hmm. all done something so that people will think well of you and then ended up being, oh, right, so I've done all that for you and you've now left me in the middle of nowhere with no cab home and now I've got... You know, it's that kind of thing. So mm -hmm. maybe that's my maybe that's my regrets. <laughs> and what about your biggest win? <sighs> Hollyoaks. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> because and not just because of the job and the character, because it's literally changed my life in a radical way. You can literally call it before and after. Part of it, you have to admit, is financial, because coming from a poor family and literally, I'm telling you, when I was working in computers, literally, I was, I was earning very small amounts of money and and always struggling, always in debt, bailiffs at the door. I'm sorry to bring up something as, as trivial as money, especially when there's people out there who are about to enter some of the worst financial times in their lives thanks to an incompetent government that really doesn't seem to care. But I was, and it was a nightmare. And I just happened to land on a job that has taken a lot of those worries away. Please don't think I'm rich, folks, because I'm not. I'm not. On, I'm not on EastEnders, and I'm not being paid by Netflix. <laughs> so, so Google your net worth after this. <laughs> Annie, an absolute joy to talk to you. Long may you continue doing what you're doing, and you know, just by living your life, um, inspiring other people, making it easier for other people that come after you. You know, being a trailblazer, um, and it's just a joy to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. It's been lovely. Yay. <laughs>